you know, Jacob, uh, I was going to call this one, nobody really cares for the trees or nobody really cares for the woods anymore, but maybe I should just rename it to Jacob doesn't really care for the trees because you keep putting this episode off. And then when it finally comes time, oh, fine, let's do it. (laughs) (laughs) I just thought that uh, this was your marijuana episode. Oh, You you just keep just throwing out there, let's talk about trees, trees, trees. And it's like, geez, Mike, you got to keep your personal proclivities. like off of this platform, you know, but, uh, if you insist, we, we hear what we want to hear. <laughs> yeah. Oh, nice. Well, I get you turn that around on me. Welcome to the voyage podcast, a show that traverses the oceans of myth and legend through the lens of Catholic theology and philosophy. Come aboard as we set sail in pursuit of the heroic life and Christian virtue with your hosts, Mike Schramm and Jacob Platty. So welcome everybody to this episode of the Voyage Podcast, where as uh, Jacob and I were just kind of uh, talking about, we are going to be talking about the the trees, um, just the kind of general tree element that you see in so much of mythology, obviously not just the pagan mythology of especially like Norse or, or uh, Greek mythology, but then even the, dare we say it, you know, mythology or mythological presence of trees in the Bible. And what is the theological Ooh. significance to that? Um, and then where do we see it pop up in kind of our more modern modern myths, things like that? So this is going to be, uh, and if we, if we happen to focus on maybe some specific trees that uh, Jacob has in mind or, or was thinking about, then, <laughs> then so be it. But, but yeah. This is... <laughs> This is going to be our um, uh, Aldous Huxley, because back when we last talked about him, I can't remember the name of his book, but it's Doors of Perception. Okay. This is going to be our, we're going to talk about magic mushrooms. We're going to talk, oh. no, I'm just kidding. We're not talking about hallucinogenics. Well, actually, so. Uh, in today's you know, episode. Oh, oh, oh no, or well, are it's we? It's funny Mike? you bring that up because, uh, so when we just kind of wanted to talk about some of the general things about trees and why they've been so prevalent, because they are so prevalent in all of culture's mythologies. Um, and, and you yeah, brought up, but sure. they do have a special connection to mushrooms. I mean, not just the fact that like, you'll see them growing on trees or whatever, but, uh, that they, they have a role in the, just the growth of trees or the, but then, um, we've had conversations about the last of us show, which is the kind of, if you want to, it mushrooms play, a if role you want to call show, it the yeah. zombie apocalypse, but it uses mushrooms. Um, they have a role in the, what if it was all in their head, Mike? What if at the end of the series, oh, like they just wake up and Joel it wakes from... up, and it's the first, and it's, it's his his daughter is there, and it's back in Texas. And he was tripping on yeah, he was tripping. He was tripping on shrooms that his brother brought yeah. to him. Yes, uh, man, that would be a that would be twist. so disappointing. <laughs> if 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 that's <laughs> what you mean by twist, then <laughs> we don't know. we don't know how the the video game series hasn't finished its third installment. Oh, is it could is there still uh, do, is that the expectation that there will? I be I think a they're going to do a third one. Oh, you know, actually, so I think that there's technically just like no word. Mm. So the actual developers have yeah, not, I haven't neither confirmed nor okay. denied. So, and so as much as you'd like this to be a Last of Us podcast, this is not a Last of Us podcast. But, uh, but like I said, there <laughs> I there is a show. connection um, to, and and not even just the like, you know, what do you want to say, the hallucinogenic um, element to it. Did you? I I don't want to keep talking about. <laughs> I'm sure I'm sure our corporate overlords are like, what are these guys talking about? Um, but uh, have you ever heard the theory of? 
like there are some people out there who you know have weird ideas about what the bible talks okay. about and there is one Benjamin. theory there is one theory that um the fruit from the tree that Adam and Eve the the knowledge of good and evil is actually a reference to hallucinogenic mushrooms it's so and that it was actually their their eyes were open so through the experience this might be this. um another uh another example of like when you're a hammer everything looks like a nail but actually i thought you were going to bring up mm-hmm. the example of cuz i've also heard it um in reference to the burning bush that there was a there's a hallucinogenic element oh, yeah. to moses conversation with god as well yeah, that would be that would be something else. You know, actually, so to to actually get away from being kind of jokey about this and a little bit more serious, this is gonna be a weird episode, I guess. <laughs> but um, the uh, there's like a really big uptick in hallucinogens being used, right, within culture, right, and uh, you know, there's there's some things happening within therapeutic circles where there's this idea of like micro dosing things is is helping people and being therapeutic and I'm I don't have much to say. No, about and that's that. not I'll gonna be the point of this episode either. Continue so to, if you if yeah. you plan it on turning it off because um, of that or you're still listening because of that, I guess now you can be fully informed <laughs> yeah, one way or the other. Yeah. This is not a hallucinogen no. episode. Um but the reason why I bring that up in a more serious manner is that people are being really loosey goosey with this idea that, Oh, hallucinogens are just like good for you, I guess. Mm -hmm. Right. And it's like, that's like spirit realm demon stuff, folks. You should be kind of cautious about just the, this open handed acceptance, um, invitation of it's, it's kind of like just, hey, did you find? We just discovered that Ouija boards are are really good for your mental health, and mm. all of a sudden, everyone's just like using Ouija boards or something like well, that. Well, it's almost like, like in I the same way that very yeah, you almost want to like, and and ironically, you know, I'm usually the one that maybe in my effort to reach out too much could be accused of this, but it's almost like you're trying too hard to baptize these like pagan things, and and it's one thing for it to baptize a pagan thing, but it's another thing to. Um, try to almost like reconcile or baptize a overtly anti-Christian, like demonic thing, right? Whether we're talking like, yes, yeah. that could be, that could be. And again, you know, if whatever we're talking about some kind of therapeutic application, I'm I'm open-minded as far mm-hmm. as that goes, but I don't get the impression that's how people are using these on the streets. And uh, so let that be a PSA. Yeah, you know. That's don't because I just do say think no. they work. This I do Jacob's, think they open. They open. This is Jacob's 1980s. They, just say no speech. That you know. <laughs> yes. Uh, so talking about okay, whatever. Let's yeah. get talk. Let's talk about so. Trees. And again, <laughs> why why we kind of went down that little bit of a rabbit trail is because so one of the things that uh, this very popular nonfiction book called The Hidden Life of Trees. Did you ever um, read that one or, or come across that one? Just it's just. I don't think I've read it. It actually sounds really familiar. Yeah, though. I mean, it's... Um, where have I heard of it? I think it was a New York Times Just bestseller, book, which I, I think on the surface was maybe significant that it's like, oh, you mean uh, a book about trees that adults, everybody wants to buy or wants to read or whatever? Uh, it was like a... He was like a forest ranger, environmentalist who, I mean, studied it, but... Uh, and I, his name... The author's name is When did it come me. out? Like, what era are we talking about? This is... I mean, I want to say within the last 20 years. This isn't like in the seventies or anything relatively recent Um, then. But, uh, and, and I think one of the parts of the appeal is just like, like I've said, trees have had such a role in just human consciousness and not just spiritual or religious consciousness, but it's been present. I mean, there's always, and this is why, but 
in our mythology and all of our stories and we're just surrounded by them. And maybe it's because we're less and less surrounded by them, right? If, if so many people are growing up in more of an urban environment, we're fascinated by them because they are not as, um, I guess, common to our experience as we, as we'd like them to be, but sorry, go ahead. I've literally, I've literally made large life decisions based upon uh, proximity to trees. Yeah. <laughs> so when I was leaving, when I was leaving the military, we were in Hawaii, and it's really hard to um, house hunt and plan to move back to the continents when you have this eight-hour flight minimum. And so a lot of it was being done over the internet. But one of the one of the wickets that we had to check for wherever we were going to move back to because we didn't have strong roots in nice. any one location. No pun we just intended. Had kind of a geographic. Uh, no pun intended. Right. Yeah. Um, uh, but it one of the things that I insisted upon, my wife was happy to agree to, um, was it had to be a naturally beautiful geographic region of the world. Uh, and where we live is, yeah, is that's, that. I mean, that's and, one of the most um, common things you'll hear from, from outsiders, right? Cause we both live, I mean, and that kind of means in the same tree, area, and honestly, so, in my own yeah. mind, what that meant was like trees, right? Not that I don't think there's beauty to the desert and there's beauty to like the plains and things like that. Um, I get it. I get it. But I think forests are kind of like you and, like, uh, and so. you just wanted to be, feel more Tolkien, right. In sharing that affinity. So <laughs> So that's, I mean, obviously that's, right. that's a nonfiction example. That's a nonfiction book, but I wanted to kind of um, use that uh, to tie into. Um, and you mentioned, you know, we have this connection to with trees and beauty, but I think it has this idea of, of there's a connection between trees and life and not just the fact that there's a tree yeah, called yeah. the tree of life in the Bible, because that didn't happen by accident. That wasn't, you know, random, but that trees have mm -hmm, always mm -hmm. had that connotation um, and I don't just mean the life of the tree itself, but they become the sort of like facilitator of life. And so that's going to be one of the one of the uh, mythological connections that we're going to talk about. Uh, but there's some other ones too. Um, are you like just in mythology, like where else do you see trees or or um, what are the kind of thematic elements connected yeah, to? Yeah, is this the part of the episode where we just start rattling off kind of like where we've, we've seen these before? Well, uh, you could, yeah. Uh, the biggest one, I mean, the the one. All right, I mean, this is another, uh, you know, another kind of ubiquitous theme, right? Um, but one of my personal favorites is uh, Yggdrasil. Okay, yeah, Norse mythology, cosmic tree, the cosmic tree in Norse mythology. Well, and that's right? kind of the. Um, well, yeah, sorry, go ahead. Yeah, I, I was just about to say. I think that's actually a really interesting um, mythology that has a big tree at the center of it. Again, no pun intended. Mm -hmm. Um, because it literally is like the center of the universe and all the different worlds that people, inhabitants live in are either in its branches or in its roots. Um, so, which is, I, I just well, it's like got, that. When they did that in Thor, the first yeah. movie, and he was describing the universe to Jane Foster, mm -hmm. and they turn it into this kind of like, uh, literally this kind of cosmic tree where like the stars and like the, the veins of galaxies kind yeah. of like make the shape. I can of kind tree. of picture that, that scene that too. Yeah. That was well, neat. and there again, what are, mm -hmm. what are the two things that you're kind of describing there? You're talking about the different habitats, right? That's what Yggdrasil kind of um, uh, facilitated or whatever, but then it also created a sense of network, right? That they were all connected by this tree. True. And so it's not only representing life, but it's representing connection. And so that's the, um, and again, just to kind of go back to that hidden life of trees book. That's, those are two of the big points that the author will make is that it's this, 
was he kind of pointing out like they really are alive like they have like uh because I, I i think people are kind of talking more and more like that, yeah where people are appreciating like the souls that plants so, have which is a classical christian concept right we yeah. don't think that souls are just something that soul just have. comes from the word anima everything which means alive that's... and so anything that's alive technically has a soul anything that's even loving, if it's not yeah. a rational soul right. right which is one of the things that would distinguish humans from other sentient animals and then animals from from plants if you go back to your aristotle yeah. aristotle's psychology uh sort of thing aha uh-huh. right? yes so um so uh <laughs> yeah no that was that is one of the points and actually um cuz we don't want to go down this rabbit trail too far either but uh even if you think in terms of, you know, usually we think of like sentient or non-sentient as if it's like this uh, kind of like um, dichotomy as opposed to what if it's more of a spectrum where right. you go from less to more sentient and then what if different living mm-hmm. things, because they already have this nature of um, nature of life in terms of having a soul, well, what if the concept of, you know, nutrition, which usually distinguishes just the plant soul or vegetative soul, and then the... Um, sentience or consciousness, which distinguishes the animal soul. What if it's not so much, like I said, a dichotomous thing, but it's more of a spectrum thing, but that's not, I mean, that's, that's one area that I think is. No, worth. actually. Yeah, go ahead. Well, let me, let me add to that and, and really put a theological flavor uh-huh. on it. Um, because I totally agree with you. And I do think that, you know, well, the problem is here's the thing so much about like what happened with the history of science is that it came in with this like hyper triumphant triumphantalism and it threw out all the knowledge mm. that existed prior to and and is now kind of coming full circle and coming back to concepts because it it threw it out started from scratch did a lot of good things i'm not saying it didn't but um it it is having to acknowledge in my mind areas where it's discovering kind of certain truths or implications, at least, that were already well-established in pre-Enlightenment times, let's say. And one of those things is the idea that consciousness is this this kind of like ever-present thing going mm. on, um, and that souls are something of a spectrum, right? Um, and what I will say is that even as Christians, even as humans— that what it means to be a fallen human is there's there's something different about the juxtaposition with that with an unfallen human well, and or or a theified human as we continue on our road towards salvation and it's us just climbing the spectrum of our soul right we're becoming more so you're human. kind of referring to we're becoming, in the medieval period or the scholastic period, they talk about the great chain of being Right, which actually goes back to, to mm-hmm. Aristotle and the ancients too. But it's funny you mention the um the divides, the sharp divides, which you're saying is the product of Because that's this kind of categorization. Um, yeah. This kind of like uh this scientific uh kind well, of uh what's the word I want to use? They they tend to do this. You, the, you the hard sciences things, got right? too hard, like, basically, right? Because they they divide um but <laughs> yeah, no, so. it's it's interesting you describe it in that context because uh, not only do we have the presence of a tree in the garden story, right, in the Garden of Eden story, not only do we have the presence of a tree um, being the kind of vehicle for the fall, right, if you think in terms of it was the fruit of the tree of knowledge of good and evil, but we also think of, okay, the product of original sin, 
the the sin of is wasn't just that they were cut off from God. It's that they were cut off from each other, but that they were also cut off from the rest of creation. And so when you talk about mm. these sharp divides between you know humans and non-rational animals, or um, humans and veg and, and vegetables and and plants. Is that also a, you know, again, not trying to conflate the two. It's not saying that the two are the same. It's saying that we have such a uh, distance between us and the rest of creation, including non-rational animals and plants. And it's ultimately due to sin, right? I mean, if you just want to, mm -hmm. the easy answer is just every bad thing is due to sin ultimately. But, you know. Well, I do think there is this, um, you know, I don't know if you want to use that language or not. It's like a... Um, it's almost like a zoological difference uh, between fallen humanity and uh, unfallen humanity, like what Adam and Eve were in mm -hmm. the garden. I'm not. We are still fundamentally the same creature, yep. right? We are humans. That, no, that is what yeah, we are. It's and that's a what Jesus fallen and became, unfallen but, nature. Not that we change nature. It's not that we are. You know, it's not a. It's not a yeah, total depravity. There's sort something of idea very that you see in you know basically right, right. whatever Calvinism and stuff, but. And it's interesting, you know, the garden is one of my favorite symbols mm -hmm. because it uh, it means like a walled space where you cultivate. Paradise, yeah. Paradise means walled. Okay, yeah, I knew I was getting that from somewhere. And that's what, it, like, if so if you look at what God did, according to the story of Genesis, is he created a place where he would meet with humans in this sanctuary, this temple structure, that is a basically a nature mm -hmm. preserve, right? It's base. It's like we are meant to live amongst the trees with the animals in communion with God. It's this very uh, not to denigrate it because I'm not, but it's almost like uh, this kind of hippie existence, mm -hmm. right? Where like we are, and I don't think it's a hippie existence. I'm just being everything the hippies there. got but, like, right. Um, is what you're saying. Yeah, well, anything that was good about what they were going for um, is uh, their heart yearning for this Garden of Eden paradise well, that we were And the last for. theme, actually, besides life and connection that I, I really wanted to talk about in terms of what do we see trees representing is they also represent wisdom. And so we have this Ooh. from, not from Greek mythology first, which I hadn't actually, until I was starting um, to research for this, uh, I hadn't come across this story or I didn't remember this story, but it was actually the reason why it's called Athens, Greece. So obviously you can recognize that it comes from Athena, right? So from, and, and yeah, so sure, the sure. people of what came to be called Athens, it was like they were going, they were deciding what they were going to name their city after. And it was basically between um, Athena and Poseidon. And based off of the gift that was given, that's who they were going to choose. And, um, and now I can't even remember what Poseidon's gift was, but I know Athena, what did she give? I bet it was like it's water. water based. Yeah. <laughs> really swung for the fences. Or something. On yeah. Whatever. Uh, so <laughs> she, she plants an olive tree as a gift for the people. And so, but mm. what is, what is Athena? She's the, the goddess of wisdom. Right. And so, yeah, so yeah, for there sure. we have Athena. What does she do as her wise move, which actually gets her this honor is planting a tree. And, and I've, you know, we think of like Greek, ancient Greek culture, or whatever. That's you have very interesting. Tree too. No, I see what's happening there. But not only is it associated oh. with um, kind of the the pagan mythology, but even in in Buddhism, where does the Buddha attain enlightenment? Oh yeah, the Bodhi yeah, tree. Exactly. And so you have the Bodhi tree. Now yep. take it a step further, because not only does it apply to our ancient mythology or to our you know Eastern religion like Buddhism, but in our secular mythology, 
where does Isaac Newton attain wisdom or enlightenment? It's under the uh, of gravity, right? That's that's it's so under funny. the tree. It's yeah, under the, the apple, apple falls tree. On you did a good did, job yeah, on this right? one. Mike. I told you I've been looking forward Look to this. Look at you. I'm, these are clever examples. So, I like these examples. Well, especially unexpected. Especially the yeah, the secular mythology of Isaac. Like we, you know. We tell that story over and over. Yeah, well, and it's funny because it's literally an apple, right? And the Garden of Eden, mm. you know, they and eat it's the of apple. Of knowledge, kind of thing. which is probably what factored into the story, right? If we're thinking, it's like chopping down the cherry tree. I mean, chopping down the cherry tree by George yeah, but Washington. But now it's the apple tree because well, it's wisdom, right? Or knowledge. You know, and it's so like trees have always played such an important role in human culture, right? And I, I use that language culture specifically because I'm, I mean it as a synonym for civilization. Mm. Uh, prior to settling down in towns and things like that, you're kind of like migrating hunter-gatherer types. Um, when you create towns, depending upon where you're at, you're using different resources. But certainly some towns were using wood. And uh, obviously a tree is one of the most resourceful items that humans mm -hmm. have for just about anything we do. Uh, to this day, we are building our houses out of wood structures, you know, even if they get, you know, other material applied to the outside of those structures. Um, you know, trees are ever essential to our ability to continue to just build, mm. right, just as such. And I think that goes back to the cultivating layer of our human calling right like our created human calling is just to be working with well, trees and the fact that um, they're so you kind of mentioned they're so resourceful like every part of it can and often does get used what's another kind of secular myth that we probably both remember hearing growing up but the giving tree the shell servicing giving tree right uh, that's a that's a really good challenging book that that's a type of book that has a mythic quality Absolutely, to yeah. it because it's it's a like a hard to understand mm -hmm. parable, and at the end of the day, you know, it's like what because when you're especially when you're a child, everything is just a moral yeah. lesson, right? Everything, every story you ever read, when you know for the first like five years of your life, um, it's there's some kind of moral to the story. There's some kind of lesson you're supposed to take away from it. That's kind of black mm -hmm. and white, like don't steal, don't push your brother, you know, blah blah blah. The Giving Tree is like one of the first books I was introduced to at a really young age that I didn't know what the lesson have was. that satisfying like... Yeah, I, I understood that the tree took care of the boy and loved the boy, but the boy doesn't make good choices with the as far as the tree goes, you know, he doesn't kind of reciprocate. The The tree doesn't win mm. <laughs> in the end, you know, uh, except for the fact that eventually there is this sense of reconciliation that occurs when the tree is now just a stump and the boy finally comes back as an old man and sits on him. <laughs> and as a child, it was very hard for me to, like, understand what I was supposed to take away from that story. And I just knew that it kind of made me sad. Mm. Right. Like it was like a sad story. Um, but there was also this kind of like hopeful elements when it came to like the old man comes back. And to the parent the reading it to you says, see, kids, you're the you're the person and I'm the tree. And you just keep taking and taking and taking until I'm dead. <laughs> is, I thought I thought that was the more <laughs> that was the takeaway. <laughs> yeah. I don't think I made that connection when I was a kid. Um <laughs> but certainly it uh, yeah, what it, it's it's like um 
<laughs> and someone should have, someone should have like said, this is why you should love your parents. Um, you know, now that I have teenagers and sometimes they, um, you know, kind of don't think through the amount that they're provided, mm-hmm. right. That they're given. So now, now you've inspired me to give them the yeah. giving tree. Gonna I'm going to sit down, I'm going to put my, my 14 and 15 year old on my knee and we're going to read the giving tree. And, uh, I'm sure they'll be really receptive <laughs> to that conversation. Yeah. <laughs> so not only does it, how come they haven't turned that into an animated movie yet? Where's my giving tree? Of the giving tree. Oh yeah. boy. Hey, while we're talking about children's stories about trees, did you ever read the one? This was a pretty popular one. Um, it was, a, it's basically a Christmas story. Um, which maybe this whole episode should have been a Christmas themed episode and we could talk about Christmas trees, but like, um, (laughs) um, but, uh, there's an episode or there's a story where there's three trees and they get cut down and used for different purposes. And, uh, the one tree gets turned into a ship. One tree gets turned into a treasure chest. Um, and it's all about from the perspective of the trees and the trees are hopeful that they're going to get turned into something that becomes very sure. important and all that. So I do you not recognize this yet? Going. Yeah. Yeah. You see where I, it's I going, mean, especially cause I already let the cat out of the bag. That is a sure. Christmas episode or a Christmas story. Um, well, the final tree gets turned into a lowly manger, oh. Mike. And he's like, Oh man. My brother tree got turned into eat. a ship. Yeah. yeah, my other my other tree friend got turned into like a treasure chest or whatever he gets turned into. And I'm just a thing for animals to eat. So you food remember, out of. remember oh, how um, we were talking before the connection between Christmas and Easter? So there's actually another example of this, of basically the exact same theme that you were describing of different trees in a forest. And there was this proud tree that talked about how, you know, how many leaves he had or how tall he was or how many branches or whatever. And so he, again, this very proud tree, but then he eventually gets cut down and it's a very humbling experience because you, and, Mm -hmm. but what does he get turned into? He becomes the tree, uh, an execution tree, right? He becomes the tree of the cross, which Uh, at first is again, very humiliating thing. He doesn't understand what's going on. And then of course he, you know, sees it for what it is. And that's the big, uh, the big lesson at the end of it too. So. Well, I think that, and I'm I'm just never sure. Like, I know that's going to be a huge element of this conversation, and I want to make it a huge element of this conversation. Is the the uh, symbolism of the tree, the tree of life, the new tree of it, life, as it becomes yeah. cross? Yeah, right. And so, I think that'll become this really dominant conversation. But before we get to it, like, uh, I'm enjoying this kind of like yeah, review going back to <laughs> of our different childhood. things, and honestly. I can't, I can't remember, you know, it kind of makes me wonder because your whole like one tree gets turned into a cross thing. It's like, is that, is that the same story I'm talking about? You just turned I it don't into remember a Christmas anymore. story because you're that. super sentimental. Maybe. Yeah. Maybe. <laughs> I don't remember the like seeing what his other trees get turned into, like the ship and the other stuff. One gets turned so, into a ship. I know there's a story where there's different so I, trees. No, they very well things, could be two but, different ones. And yeah. They might be um, two different stories. Which, which kind of brings us to, so we were going to talk about like obviously just like like so many trees are used in other mythologies we have so many trees throughout the entire bible we've talked very briefly on the tree of life and the tree of knowledge of good and evil in eden 
which you've also mentioned, is a paradise, which comes from the, the word for walled garden. And so there again, yep. even the concept of Eden itself implies vegetative life, implies trees, um, and that there's a protection or a cultivation, a, um, a culture that is being developed uh, with these two, which actually... Absolutely. We've already, um, so I, I mentioned Buddhism, but in Hinduism, there's another concept of this, uh, this paradise or walled garden of called Indra, which is actually going to play into later yeah. in our conversation too. the, the concept of Indra. So what other can I look forward to that? Cause I haven't heard that before. Um, and well, and the way that it's applied in like kind of more modern, the more modern example I'm thinking of is, is not the direct connection, but so what other, like, can you think of what are the other trees? You know, you mentioned the cross already. So that kind of brings us up to like, that kind of brings us full circle. But yeah, we'll in there. between there, we have some trees that show up in the Bible as well. Um, well, yeah, let's see here. What else, what other trees are there in the Bible? Um, there's the, uh, in the Psalms, they talk about the trees of uh, Lebanon, right? And that's kind of a, a euphemism for, strong sturdy like it's usually a a good thing what am i missing what are you talking about what's the obvious well, story so there's that I'm we talked a lot about or how about how about this one uh david's son getting oh, his absalom, hair caught right? in a tree absalom, branch i and, think is the one <laughs> absalom uh who dies in the, yeah like uh the well, there trees again, get I mean, hanging hanging from a tree is certainly a a concept that's very familiar not just yeah. again we haven't even gotten into the whole crucifixion part but uh hanging from a tree is is very much yep. an execution method, you know. That's always been around. Uh, I was met, I was thinking, and cursed as any, cursed as anyone who is hung from a tree. So, like. well, even cursing and trees, maybe uh, we'll come up to right when we th- mm. when we talk about Jesus uh, cursing a tree, like with Jonah, right at the end of the. Oh, how Jesus! You're talking about in the gospel, well, were you in a yeah? There's cursing the fig tree that Jesus does right outside Jerusalem. Yeah. Right? But then even sure, before sure. that, yeah, yeah. Um, one of the most mythological stories, and we've talked about the Jonah story in regards to the descent into the underworld. Oh, but yeah. if you go past Duh. that, we just talked about he emerges that. from the mm-hmm. you know from the underworld, from Sheol, goes to Nineveh, makes the uh, prophetic announcement. The people of Nineveh repent. God spares the city. But Jonah is stuck under this fig tree right at the end of the story. Yeah. And he is quite yeah. upset. Because all those bad, and admittedly, you know, one of the things that gets glossed over in Sunday school is just how bad the Ninevites yeah. were. Just how, just how, just how in need of repentance that culture needed to get to. Um, they were brutal. They were brutal uh, pillagers and rapists and child sacrificers. They were all of the very bad, not good things that you think of with ancient pagan cultures. And so he is rather upset. That, so his dislike uh, was somewhat justified is what you're, you're a Jonah apologist. He had yeah. his reasons. He had his reasons. So basically um, he was right for disobeying God. Is that what you're saying, Jacob? Cause that's what I'm hearing <laughs> is. You have to, you have to crack, break a few eggs to, to wipe out Ninevites. <laughs> that's that's you all know, I know. That sounds uh, like the general use of that <laughs> phrase. That sounds familiar. Uh, yeah. So uh, but there yeah. again, um, why it's so significant for one, it's a miraculous tree, which already should have you, your head firing True. in terms of like spiritual significance because it grows up overnight. Wasn't that the thing? But then yeah, um, it gets destroyed overnight as well. And so, and that's yep. where, you know, that's where it kind of, it, it, um, prompts this conversation between Jonah and God 
because that's where the whole, you know, you're, you're sad about this tree being destroyed, but you wanted me to destroy an entire city. Right, right, right. And well, it's interesting how the, um, God is basically calling the city a tree, right? Like, so like what you were saying, and that kind of goes back to how our relationship with civilization and culture as such is pun intended rooted in our relationship with trees and with the gardens well, and things and like comparing that. Symbolism a city is very real. To a tree or a culture to a tree, does that have any New Testament significance when we go into again, we've already brought up, but Jesus and the fig tree, just as he's lamenting Jerusalem, right? It's it's also playing that similar role. And yes, so it is. And also uh when he is talking about faith as a mustard seed turning into a tree that all the uh birds come and nest in, uh-huh. right? So that's another symbol of the church. Um and and how all the people are gonna come nest in it and things like that. Yeah, so I it's think again it's the like church a fathers um use that as sort of like not just the church, but then also like the Gentiles being uh brought in. Like the yeah, like the birds and yeah. things like that. That's that's what I was getting uh-huh. at, Mike. No, no, no. This is I mean, this is a conversation. I thought our audience was uh This is a conversation. <laughs> so oh, right. um, yeah. um Yeah, I mean, so then well, and actually, you know, I was saying before how one of the other things about trees representing wisdom, so that actually not only do we see that in pagan mythology, like I said, with the Athena example, but that's actually uh one of the Proverbs. In Proverbs three, wisdom is compared to a tree or mm. or, or seen in light of a tree. And so see that. And so we I feel like I I, I was reading like the book of Enoch. And like, so the book of Enoch gets into trees. Like the book of Enoch talks about trees. It's basically talking about a little trees bit of a background. So the same book way, of like Enoch the is a, um, uh, would you not deuterocanonical? It's not second yeah, temple, but it's a, um, apocryphal yeah. or what would you say? Like, yes, it's, it's not part of the, um, not part of the Christian. It's not canon. in a Bible yeah. unless it, it, no, it's in, it's in the Ethiopian Christian okay. Bible though. Um, so there's actually the book of Enoch and the book of Jubilees are, um, if you want to find the Christian denomination that has the most robust collection of books in its biblical library, it's the um, Ethiopian Orthodox Church. And uh, my Eastern Orthodox Church is a close second, but they have us beat because they include the book. See, of we were talking about how like and, the consciousness is not so much a dichotomy, but a spectrum. And so same, same with a biblical canon. It's not a dichotomy between Protestant and Catholic. It's a spectrum between, you know, Protestant on one end, and then you go all the way to the Ethiopian Orthodox canon. They're on the yeah. far end. They're the radicals. They're radical Bibles with all their books in it. Um, but Radical uh, coming from the and, term and, and to just, the root, by the way. Yeah. Ooh. Sorry, keep going. Man, this is a great episode. Um, but uh, so they actually, and that goes into how like the canons are formed and things like that. We should understand that what formed these canons was their use in the liturgical cycle. And so it's a no small thing that the Ethiopians have these books in their canon. It's not like they just said, hey, we like this book. We're going to use it. Like it was like created in some kind of council, which is the misconception people have. It's that councils, uh, um, under what's the word I'm looking for? They affirms what people oh, yeah, were okay. already yep. using, right? Um, they recognized that's what it is. Uh, that's the that obvious word I just couldn't figure out for some reason. Uh, you know, a council would just recognize and accept what was common 
knowledge to everybody. And in those uh, African circles down there where that church was existing, they were widely using these books in their worship services. And, um, you know, even though we're in schism with them today, it's not over their use of those books, well, you know? And so it's it's interesting that there are, there's clearly, that's almost like a liminal and, text. And yeah, going back to your original eyes, point of but, bringing up the Book of Enoch, um, regardless of whether it's accepted in whatever your traditions, faith traditions canon is, it still is a good window into the kind of historical practice of Christians, or, or um, this would be Second Temple Jewish. So like, what would have been very influential to the early Christians anyway, right? It's kind of our, kind of like what we were talking about with the Proto-Evangelium right. of, of James, where it's not included yep, in the yep. uh, New Testament canon, but it's been very influential for Orthodox and Catholic, um, the liturgical year, right? A lot of our feast days are based off of stuff sure. from that. And so you can use the same understanding or same relationship to the Book of Enoch as well. But sorry, go ahead and um, fin- they were talking about trees in that one. Well, and... Yeah, so there's trees that are brought up in it. I'm just trying to remember. Frankly, I I derailed my train of thought by going into how canons were created, but like, uh, or how scriptures were canonized. Um, what was it that I was? Why did well, I go? To I Enoch? mentioned he talks about I mentioned trees. That Proverbs was, talks about wisdom. Um, or tree uh, trees as a symbol for wisdom, and then you brought up for Book wisdom. of Enoch. I maybe that's where maybe well, that's where I was going then because he does talk about trees and he does talk about um, them being in these spaces where God is. Well, and, and one like of those that. spaces um, would have been the temple itself. Cause what's the tree or the symbol of a tree that we would have seen in the temple and actually in the tabernacle beforehand. What's that Jewish, uh, structure or Jewish symbol that is representative of a tree or the burning bush? Well, are you, are you, you, the menorah, the, the, the the menorah oh, is representative okay, okay, okay. of, um, it's, <laughs> you know, I don't know why I wanted you <laughs> because I was, I was like, are you talking about like the Sephiroth tree? Like, I, like my head went to like medieval rabbinic I, Judaism. I was trying to lob it over know. the plate. See, you don't, you, um, don't have the outline I, in front Sometimes of you, so. I'm, sometimes I'm not even in the batter <laughs> yeah. box. I'm sometimes I'm still over there just like kicking my shoes with the bat, um, <laughs> chewing yeah. bubble gum. Uh, go so, on. All right, the menorah. Yeah, so there the, you go. So that was yeah, a, that was fun. supposed to um be you know especially with the 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 uh, candles at the ends of it was representative of the burning bush. Sure, sure. Which actually it talks about that as a symbol for wisdom in the Talmud, which again would have been. Do we? We still have a menorah on our altars in the Orthodox Church. Does the Catholic Church um has it retained? So that you won't practice? see. I yeah, honestly, so so you'll see the um you'll see the candles like the three and three on each side, which is kind of comes from the book of Revelation because uh, Jesus emerges between those. Uh, but you won't mm-hmm. see, and you will see as um kind of ornamental pieces in some Catholic churches, like maybe on the altarpiece or maybe in the uh maybe in like the stained glass or something. But it's not like a in every you know Catholic um sanctuary or on every Catholic altar you'll see it, but you'll see it okay. more like I said. Um, the, the lampstands or the candles will be on either side of the altar or around the tabernacle, um, or something like that. So, okay. Yeah. I think actually, I think Um, our local, um, the, uh, Viterbo, I think where you're, you, uh, went to school, I think in their chapel, Yeah, the sisters of perpetual adoration, I think they have an image of it somewhere, but I can't remember. I can't think of it off the top of my head. So that is a drop dead gorgeous chapel, by the way. I believe it's called the 
Chapel of Angels or yeah, something Mary like of that? Yeah, Mary of the Angels. It's, it's, oh, okay. But there's, what, there's like a hundred angels, like, in its, like, it's de- it's decorated in a way where there's kind of like angels hidden mm, everywhere. So you can kind of like scavenger ton, hunt all the angel depictions. Yeah, tons of, tons of artwork in that one. It's very pretty. It's really nice. Yeah. It's also largely kind of, it's all, it's all like kind of green marble, right? I, I believe it's painted. I don't think it's actually mm. marble, but it's meant to, uh, it's the aesthetic is of kind of like, if I'm not, it's actually been probably like a, a couple of years since I was in it. But it's very like green in there, and it's columned mm-hmm. and things like that. So it actually has this very kind of like foresty vibe um, for the context of this conversation. So if you're ever in La Crosse, Wisconsin, go visit uh, the Chapel of Mary's Angels or whatever nice. Mike yeah. said it was called. So <laughs> it's very pretty. Well, and I that love actually that speaks to. So I mentioned you know the menorah being in the temple. So actually, that um, there was supposed to be a lot of kind of decorative, creative creation elements including vegetation in the Jewish temple as well, uh, which there again, because it was supposed sure. to be a sort of new Eden for the for the Israelites when they built the temple, is that it's like a, a return to Eden. And so it would also represent or resemble that walled garden um, uh, atmosphere or setting as well. Oh, and this is, no, this is no mean thing either, because this is largely coming from cultures that had to deal with uh, arid climates, right? And so the idea of oases, you know, mm-hmm. an oasis of, you know, uh, the idea that life and plant vegetation are synonymous, it's because literally the contrast is the wilderness of the arid desert where things don't grow well and where life is not easily lived and things like that. Uh, and so decoration, like, you know, if you look at vestments or if you look at banners and hangings and things like that, there's always that kind of filigree which is the the kind of like leafy liney stuff that you recognize in like, you know, medieval manuscripts um, or any type of decoration, Victorian decoration. This idea that it's always vegetative. Mm-hmm. Filigree is is basically just putting, just decorating things with, with plants, vines and leaves and things like that. Um, it's just so innate to our souls, um, to the way that this created order, order exists, right? And um, I'll finish with uh, Jordan Peterson talked about this um, at various points uh, where he would talk about how churches with their columns and with all the filigree, with all like the leafy decor being like kind of carved into the stone, right? Because filigree doesn't have to be just something that is, you know, drawn onto a piece of paper. If you look at a Corinthian column, you know, it's got the leafiness mm-hmm. at the top of it. It's got the uh, that type of a tree. Well, and it's that continuity um, between uh, the early church and and Judaism, where just like the temple was supposed to be a new Eden or a return to Eden, so too was supposed to be every church that was built. Every church was supposed to be. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I think of the monastic communities especially because they one of the reasons why they were so intent on I guess you could say like doing yard work or whatever is because they were, they were supposed to, uh, because they, they were supposed to be a return to what was the command given to Adam was to keep and to till the garden. And so they're sort of fulfilling that. If you want to um, as well, one of my favorite images of this is a place called Mount Athos. It's in Greece. 
Um, it's I've heard one person um, call this uh, the Eastern Orthodox equivalent of the Vatican because <laughs> we don't have a centralized authority in the way that the Catholic Church does, but we do have the uh, Holy Mountain, uh, which is our euphemism for Mount Athos. It's a peninsula in Greece, but it basically, for historical reasons, it became an epicenter of monastic vitality. And so um, it is, it's just this whole little country, because they actually are their own little country, kind of. I think they're subservient to Greece, but they, it's they just are like their the Vatican, own yeah. It's... Kind of, yeah, it is, it's like that. Um, and they, uh, they still fly. They still fly the Byzantine flag. Oh, nice! <laughs> like their their flag is actually the the flag of uh, you know Eastern Rome. But uh, anyway, uh, it is to my eyes, it is literally paradise on earth. Um, and if you look at it, if you Google this, if you look at images of it, it is it is just a bunch of people cultivating the landscape. They they built these amazing castle like monasteries that are just surrounded with, you know, groves and um, agrarian living, and it's like wow, I bet you that's what heaven looks like, because it, it just looks like that's what the like I bet you if the if if man had never fallen, the whole world would just kind of look hmm. like that, um, you know, and it's just obviously that's just me kind of being fanciful. Who knows? But uh, there's a tear rolling down very your beautiful. eye right now. Nobody else can see it but me. But <laughs> it's his voice. He's trying to make yeah, sure his yeah. voice doesn't crack. But it sounds like he's making a pitch for the uh, Voyage Podcast pilgrimage site. Is uh, <laughs> yes. Hey, corporate overlords. Yeah. Uh, I think I need to do some research for this podcast over at Mount Athos. So. Um, if you can bake that into the sure. budget sometime soon, that'd be gonna cool. have to sell a lot of Jonah comics. Uh, <laughs> hey, Finny, uh, pick up those Jonah Finney comics. They're great. Finney number They're seven great. is out. <laughs> yeah, there they you go. A mountain on There's that a, one. Hey, well, we're we, not. We about actually mountains. are gonna have we're a mountain episode. Mountains, so, uh, we need to have a mountain episode yeah, now, yeah. so I can get paid to mm-hmm. go to Mount Athos. So um, where else? So we so. <laughs> oh well, actually no we we had to come full circle because um so not only do we see the the tree of life the tree of knowledge right because that's again the tree is supposed to not only be um not only be representative of life representative of wisdom but then of connection and so what's that final what's the tree right the tree of life that shows up in the New Testament not just in the like it actually isn't called this in the Gospels it's really it's in um the Book of Revelation. But what, from a Christian standpoint, mm. is the tree of life now? And the and cross, so we eat, and just Lord. like, you know, Adam and Eve were given the fruit of the tree of life before they fell. Now, as Christians yep. who have, you know, returned into or have been reconciled or, or brought in back into this right relationship, we now eat the fruit of the tree of life. And this is what... Yeah, and let's, re- let's remember, um, we talked about this at, at some other podcast point, but um, the the fruit of the tree was never going to be forbidden forever. It, the idea is that they, they would eventually evil, be allowed to, clarify. to eat it. Because yeah. we were talking about the tree of life. Um, first, so. True. Um, well, so anyway, the idea is, is that um, the cross, like what you're saying, has taken the place. And so now we eat of its fruit, right? Um, in, in my tradition, as we go through Lent, the midweek six weeks, the, the mid, the third one 
is um, we commemorate the cross. Um, and it's it's we do that obviously on Good Friday as well. Mm-hmm. But there's a special Sunday for the cross because it's a tree in the desert. Like the idea, the, the language that's used is that we rest under its shade as like we go through. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, as we go through the deserts of Lent, mm-hmm. um, we take solace in the shade of the cross, uh, understanding like the fruit of it, understanding the fruit of it in our lives and things like that. And well, you know, and just because we, we are haven't spelled this out, but it. yeah, in the ancient Christian tradition, the church fathers referred to as referred to the Eucharist as the fruit of the tree of life. So just like Jesus mm-hmm. hung from the cross, and the fruit hangs from the tree, so now we you know participate in the body of Christ, which hung from the cross or hung from the new tree of life. And so you'll see, yeah, I mean, this image has been present from the beginning of Christianity, Very not just in the book yeah. of Revelation, but you see some of the, um, I think the church of San Clemente in Rome, this is where you get the mosaic of it's Jesus on the cross, but what is sort of like branching out from the cross are these vines that have included all the different, like you could say types of Christians and so you'll have like the monk okay. over here, or you'll have the, the queen over here or the, the peasant over here. But like all of these people have now been grafted onto the vine, right? But it, it starts from, mm-hmm. yeah, or it originates from the tree of the tree of life and the cross. And then Jesus, of course, at the center. That's, an, and it's also, you know, St. Paul uses that language, obviously in Romans, when he's talking about the uh, Gentile Christians being grafted onto the tree mm-hmm. of the church, right? Under the tree of Israel, Right. Um, but again, yeah, this idea that the tree of life is the cross and that the cross, you know, it's not arbitrary. Jesus's death by means of crucifixion. It's like, well, couldn't Jesus have just been poisoned to death or Or couldn't Jesus have just beheaded or something like that. Right. That would have really Um, hurt the symbolism of the um, head in the body of the church, though. That's the thing, right? (laughs) God's a better artist than that. Um, Well, and it also, what I want to say is that symbolism, like, matters, Mm -hmm. right? That it's not arbitrary. We really have this kind of preconception in our heads um, as modern people, I believe, that symbolism is just this kind of, like, uh, whatever, Useful heuristic, maybe, but it's not meaningful. It's not um, essential, right? But I think that a proper understanding of our place in the cosmos and how we live our lives needs to reinvigorate our idea, our concept that these symbols are essential to how the universe is and how we understand God. When and when I say understand God, I mean to say like how we meet. Well, and if we really want to see, and we, if we really want to respect the, the concept of providence, right? Or or seeing God as the Jesus as the Lord of history, then yeah, from our perspective, looking back, it'd be like, oh, wasn't it convenient that this happened the way that this happened, the way that this happened? But if you're yeah, the one plotting right. out the, if you're the one writing the story, then it's not convenient at all. It's very yeah. much essential, and so it's just it's yeah, giving, no, it's it's a tree. Because he's going to be crucified. He's the lamb slain from the set, from the foundation of the world, mm. right? And I I think this is a little timey-wimey, right? So whatever, take it with a grain of salt. But I, I kind of think that history starts at the cross. Like history, or maybe the incarnation, um, whatever, the, the whole process, the 33-year moment. 
Um, and that it is working backwards from that moment. Like if you're looking at the prehistory of it and it's working forwards from that moment, if you're in our mm-hmm. time. Um, but you know, when the Bible says a thing, like he's the lamb slain from the foundation of the world, I kind of take it literally. I kind of take it to mean that like God begins creation at the cross and everything. And again, I think that gets timey wimey, right? And so go ahead and, and reject it if you wish, because if it's not helpful, then well, yeah, even if I, I would like, say uh, at the very least, it works on the level of metaphor, but I know you're trying to go beyond that. I don't want to reduce what you're saying, but if nothing else, sure, that is the. I'm not convinced that I'm right no. on it, <laughs> right? So I could. That's no, what I, I don't want to give say a whole is t- I, I am going for yeah, more than I, metaphor, I don't want to give a ton of pushback also, on it either because it's not really the. Yeah, I don't want to say uh, that it's 100 percent true. I don't know. It's just something I, I kind of you know. Well. And, and, but even just the, cause again, if, if the whole idea of go back to our, when we were talking about the book of revelation, if, and I know we assumed this going into the conversation, but like, if you take the general historic understanding of the book of revelation was John was on this Island of Patmos having some vision of heaven, then his vision of these things, including this new tree of life and eating the fruit of the tree of life is very much outside of time. And yeah, he's communicating Mm -hmm. it, you know, in history, in his particular moment in time, using words that we can understand. Um, of course, writing in English as he's wont to do. And um, yeah. <laughs> King James English, and, no uh, less. And, um, but, but again, we have to also like, even, if, even though it's helpful for us to kind of read it in, in the moment that we're living in in history or whatever, looking back on it, right? Using that, because um, we're yep, very yep. imminent, we're, we're very conditioned by time. If if the if we really are going to take you know the writing at its word that he's having this vision of heaven, then it very much is outside of time. And so, kind of to your point, and and like you said, I mean, it's not going to be a hill that either of us are going to die on, at least at this moment, right? But uh, yeah. at least on the level, of, yeah, at least on the level of metaphor, you can see the kind of the symbolic significance. So we, we've we've gone over all these different kind of elements of trees and things like that, and we haven't even gotten into the idea that there's basically like avatar characters for trees as such, you know, I'm, I'm thinking things like ants. I'm thinking things like, like whatever swamp thing or Groot. Yeah. Groot's well, perfect. And actually, example, right. Oh, so yeah, we'll, sorry. go on. No. So they, no, on. The, all the, the themes that we were just talking about, like in the ancient mythologies, representing life, representing connection, representing wisdom, we can see how they are played out in these actual personifications. Is that, sorry to interrupt. Is that what um, no, no, that's exactly. It's like we're we'll have to do an episode just on, um, just on the kind of personification. You know, last time we were talking about how death is either a place or a person, depending upon the context of the myth yeah. that you're reading and things like that. Um, and you could say the same thing about well. And trees, what's cool right? is, and so just like we've already tied in so many of these biblical examples, and we like going like you were saying, like we've tied in. You know, when we talk about Jesus conquering death, it's like we've personified it in our Christian theology too. So what are the ways that these personifications of trees, as they're played out in ancient mythology, like we've already kind of discussed, as they're played out in the um, kind of more modern mythology of like the pop culture examples that you were mentioning? We also have like Game of Thrones. Um, Brave New World has a cool one. The, oh, yeah. Like the Chronicles the of Narnia. Yeah. C.S. Lewis has a bunch of stuff about trees. It's not just Tolkien anymore, right? And uh, so mm-hmm, mm-hmm. all of these things. Um, Speaking of Avatar, there's oh, that... Yeah. Uh, World tree the or whatever it's called. Tree, I think. Spirit, it's the center spirit. of the world soul in tree. Avatar, right? It's like 
That's funny. That's called the soul tree. Yeah, they all tie yeah, into connection. It. Which right? really, connection I mean, let's talk life. about. Yeah, like it's like we're getting grafted well, into. Hey, it. Hey, let's save right? that enthusiasm for. Uh, so yeah, like like Jacob <laughs> Jacob said, you know, we're gonna we're gonna make this a whole conversation because we want to tie in a lot of the stuff we've already talked about. But yeah, really get into a lot of these pop culture references that um, we we have seen so much of just in watching movies, TV shows, things like that too. So we hope that you guys can join us for that conversation. We appreciate you guys coming for this one and. Um, we want you, or I just want to remind you guys or encourage you guys to like, subscribe to the show, uh, give that five-star rating, leave a positive review. And so that you can show, you know, just like Jacob had to prove that he still cared about the trees that you guys, um, you know, speak, you know, speak <laughs> the for the trees, right? You speak for the trees. <laughs> There's another avatar. Speak All right. We'll, we'll, we'll talk about the avatar of the Lorax right. next Sounds time good. too. Thanks guys. Thanks for listening to Voyage Podcasts. The Voyage Podcast is a production of Voyage Comics and Publishing, which seeks to create exceptional entertainment informed by Catholic values that inspire people to live a heroic life. Voyage Comics seeks to advance truth and beauty found in powerful stories. To learn more, visit voyagecomics.com. You can also follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram 